0: Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated by Rachel Leshaw, in honour of her grandmothers, Paula Weber and Sabina Schmidtman, who inspire her with their commitment to lifelong Torah learning and dedication to family. Hi. My name is Rachel Lashah, and today we're going to learn about Tractate Maasrod. Before we get started, I want to share with you a brief thought about how I came to love learning Mishnah. Now I'm a Talmud and Halacha teacher living in Israel, but when I was 10 years old and living in America, I started learning Mishnah with my father. The great thing about Mishnah is how it's broken into such easily digestible chunks, we started out learning one Mishnah, or a few Mishnayot, at a time. Soon we were learning one parak or chapter, a week. A few weeks later, we had finished Masechet, or tractate, Ta'anit. We moved on to the next Masechet, and then the next. By the time I became a Bat Mitzvah at twelve, we had finished Seder Moed, the whole order of Mishnah, which deals with the holidays, twelve Masechetot in all. When we started learning, I didn't ever think we'd get through that much. But with Mishnayot, you can go bit by bit, and one day you realize just how much you've covered. That was incredibly empowering for me as I got to mark a a celebration of completing a section of Torah, as a way of transitioning into Jewish adulthood. And that's why I'm so excited to explore Masechet Ma'as throat with you today on the Your Torah podcast. Because one Masechet at a time, you can develop that relationship with Mishnah and with the world of Torah learning, the way I did. In order to start talking about our Masachat, we need to go far back in time, even before the Mishnah, to review the whole concept of Maasrot, of tithes. We're going to use the term Maasrot to refer to a whole bunch of different gifts which have their own more specific names. You'll see soon. When the Jewish people arrived in the Land of Israel after wandering in the desert for forty years they were ready to finally settle down and start farming the land. Each of the 12 tribes was assigned one area of the country as their portion, and they got to work. All the tribes except one, that is. The tribe of Levi was designated to serve the Jewish people, and for that reason, they were not given a portion in the land, but rather 48 cities scattered throughout it for them to live in. The tribe of Levi served as educators, and many also worked in the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, as guards and as musicians. Within the tribe of Levi, there was a further division. A smaller section of Leviim were designated as Kohanim, as priests. These were the descendants of Aharon HaKohen, the first high priest, brother of Moshe. The Kohanim were the ones who did the actual service in the temple bringing sacrifices on behalf of the whole nation of Israel. Because the Kohanim and Levim did not have land to farm, they were supported by mandatory donations from every Jewish farmer. And finally, we reach our topic. I'm going to quickly run through the various donations or gifts that a Jewish farmer was expected to separate from her produce before she could eat it, and then we can talk about the actual content of our masachet. The first separation is called Trumagdola, the big gift. It's actually not that big, but it's the first one and the most serious, so it's called big. In Dvarim chapter 18, we hear as follows. V'nachala lo yihiyelo b'kera Hashemhu Hashem hu'nachalato kasher d'iber lo. The Kohanim shall have no portion among their brother tribes. The Lord is their portion, as He promised them. You shall also give him the first fruits of your new grain and wine and oil and the first shearing of your sheep. The first thing a Jewish farmer needs to separate from her produce is truma, the gift to the Kohanim. The pasuk does not tell us how much must be separated, but the rabbis instituted that it should be about 2% of the harvest. Next comes Maaser Rishon, the first tithe. Yes, there is more than one. The pasuk in Bamidbar chapter eighteen says as follows: Ki et Maaser Asher Truma Natati Al Ken For it is the tithes set aside by the Israelites as a gift to the Lord that I give to the Levites as their share. Therefore I have said concerning them, they shall have no territorial share among the Israelites. Now the farmer has given 2% from her produce to the Kohanim, and 10% to Levim. Everyone seems taken care of. Who's next? Well, if the regular Jews owe thanks to the Kohanim for performing service in the Beit HaMikdash, so do the Levim, which leads us to what's called Trumat Maaser. The gift from the tithe. In the continuation of Bamidbar 18, the Levim are told, trumat hashem asher at trumat hashem So shall you on your part set aside a gift for the Lord from all the tithes that you receive from the Israelites and from them you shall bring the gift for the Lord to Aaron the priest. So now, the Israelite has given to the Levi and the Kohen, and the Levi has given to the Kohen. What else could possibly be left? Well, not all of the Masrot are just to make up for the fact that the Kohanim and Levim didn't get portions in the land of Israel. The next two Masrot have different rationales. In Dvarim 14, we are introduced to the concept of Maaser sheni, the second tithe. Aser ta'aser ekol t'vua tzaracha hayo hasadeh shana shana. You shall set aside every year a tenth part of all the yield of your sowing that is brought from the field. Va'achalta l'fnei Hashem kacha ba'makom asher yivchar, l'shaken shmo ma'aser digancha tiroshcha v'yitzaracha v'buchorot v'karcha v'tzoncha you shall consume the tithes of your new grain and wine and oil and the firstlings of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God in the place where he will choose to establish his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God forever. Ma'aser Sheni isn't separated so that it can be given away. Rather, this additional 10% of the produce is brought to be eaten in Jerusalem to foster a sense of connection between the farmer and God and his holy city. Maaser Sheni, however, is not separated every year. The Jewish calendar works on a seven-year cycle, where the seventh year is Shemitah, the sabbatical year, when no agricultural work may be done. Ma'aser Sheni is separated in the first, second, fourth, and fifth years of the cycle. In the seventh, there is obviously no tithe to be separated because there is no harvest. In years three and six, however, Ma'aser Ani, the tithe of the poor, is separated instead of Ma'aser Sheni, the second tithe, which was brought to Jerusalem. In the continuation of Devarim 14, we hear, Every third year you shall bring out the full tithe of your yield of that year, but leave it within your settlements. Uvahale the Then the Levite, who has no hereditary portion as you have, and the stranger the orphan and the widow in your settlements, shall come and eat their fill, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the enterprises you undertake. Ma'aser ani is separated and left for the underprivileged of society to be supported by the farmers, and to remind the farmers again that their produce is not just their own, but is a gift from God to be shared with those who need it. So a quick review, a farmer needs to separate Truma Gidola, around 2% for the Kohen, and then Maser Rishon, 10% for the Levi. The Levi then separates Trumat Maser, 10% of what he receives, for the Kohen. The farmer then checks which year it is. If it's years 1, 2, 4, or 5 of the Shemitah cycle, she separates Maser Sheni, an additional 10%, which she takes to eat in Jerusalem. If it's years 3 or 6, she separates that 10th as ma'aser ani and leaves it for the poor. At this point, finally, she's allowed to eat her food. But believe it or not, masechat ma'asrot is actually not about the process of separating ma'asrot. It's about the stage before. At what point does produce become chayav, or obligated, in having all these ma'asrots separated. This matters because we want to know when to perform the mitzvah, but it also has implications with regards to eating the produce. As an example, if you pluck an unripe fig from a tree, it doesn't need ma'asrots separated, because it's unripe and not considered worthy of eating. But once the fig ripens, the farmer is now obligated to separate ma'asrots from it. But what if the farmer wants to eat the fig straight from the tree? Here the halakha makes a distinction. Ripe fruits and vegetables can be eaten arai, in a casual manner, like a snack, but not in a kavua, more formal way. As an example, this past summer I went to a cherry-picking festival, and since we were in Israel, we needed to be careful about separating ma'asrot, which normally is done before the fruit reaches the supermarket. However, the rule was that we were allowed to eat cherries if we picked them straight off of the trees, even though they were ripe, as long as we hadn't collected them in some kind of vessel yet. And that's exactly what we did. We ate tons of cherries until our lips were purple and our hands were sticky, and then we filled up our plastic containers to buy the cherries, from which we separated throat when we arrived home. Back to our point. Ripe produce requires throat to be separated but it can be eaten in an aray, casual manner, even before ma'asrod are taken. However, if the produce reaches the next stage, then it can no longer be eaten from at all. This next stage is often stacking or packaging or some step beyond the harvest. Our masachat goes through these various stages as they differ for different types of produce. The first chapter talks about at what stage a fruit or vegetable is considered ripe, the second chapter deals with the selling of produce. What kind of sale is considered official enough that the food must have masser taken and no eating of a casual manner is allowed anymore? In chapter 3, we learn that bringing your produce home to your private courtyard is also considered an end stage and therefore initiates the masser requirement. It raises questions such as, What if I'm bringing dates through my courtyard because I want to dry them on my roof? I don't consider the dates ready for eating yet because I want them dried. Can I snack on one now and only separate ma'asar once they have dried? Sneak peek. The answer is yes. Chapter 4 discusses other actions that would make produce require maaser. For example, if you bring salad dressing out to the field, you can't snack on your cucumbers that you dip in salad dressing. The fact that you brought out the dressing shows that you're treating the cucumbers as a finished product, and they require ma'aser before you even eat one of them. The fifth and final chapter discusses the obligation of ma'aser if you uprooted plants and planted them somewhere else, and also what produce does not require ma'aser to be taken, mostly inedible produce. I want to learn the first Mishnah of the Masechet together with you and then share something really special that I realized as I was learning this masachat. The Mishnah begins. Klal amru masrot. There is a rule regarding masrot. About three categories. Kol shehu ochel v'nishmar v'gidu lav min ha'aretz chayav b'masrod. Anything that fits in these three categories is required to have masrot separated. Something which is food, which is guarded, meaning it's not up for grabs or public property, and something which grows from the ground. That last one would exclude mushrooms, for example, which don't have roots in the ground. klal acher amru, and there is another rule, Kol to Ochel Visso anything that starts out as food and ends as food, Afal Pshehushhomrohosif Ochel, Chayav katan bigdol that would require masrot at the beginning or end of its growing process even if you generally keep it in the ground to continue growing for example tiny onions are edible but they're usually left to grow to become larger onions the mishnah tells us that even tiny onions would require masrot taken from them if you wanted to eat them the mishnah ends Anything which begins not as food, but becomes food, doesn't require maasrot until it becomes food. So, for example, an apple blossom, which has not yet become an apple, would not be obligated in maasrot because it is not technically food. Why did I choose to read this Mishnah inside? This Mishnah makes it all sound so easy. Is it food? Then you need to take masrot. And yet, the next few Mishnayot go through at least 25 different kinds of fruits and vegetables to explain exactly when each of those types are considered ripe. If you just read the first Mishnah, you might think this Masechet will be full of standard rules that apply in all cases. And yet you would be surprised to find the exact opposite. This masechet realizes that each fruit is different, each farmer is different, each fruit seller is different, and each case needs to be dealt with individually. Of course, any legal system or religion is based to a certain extent on standardization, but this masechet reminded me of the importance of judging cases on their individual merit. Maybe some fruits need to be turned red before they're considered ripe, and others need to develop dark spots. And if you flip those rules, you would get it wrong. God laid down the basic rules in the Torah. We need to separate Maaser because he blesses us with produce, and we need to share it, not keep it all for ourselves. But God leaves it up to the people on the ground, in our case, the rabbis who wrote the Mishnah, to teach us exactly which cases fit into those rules and which do not. Sometimes it's the people closest to the action who have the best sense of how to fulfill a general directive from above. I think this applies in school, in work, in religion, and in social interactions. And while separating Maasroth is not something that most people do frequently anymore— I think the lesson of taking God's message and figuring out how to apply it to our lives is one that certainly is relevant, whether we're in Israel, the UK, or anywhere else in the world. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag Your Torah.